listening to Metal Matters, the official weekly Gimme Metal podcast. Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome to 2021. And uh, yeah, we took a little bit of a break. I hope everyone had a great holiday. And um, we have my dear friend, Ralph Schmidt, of many bands. And we'll get into that. Ralph has been on the show quite a bit over the last couple years as um, you know, we do these classic records. He contributed his top five to 2020. But I've failed to actually devote an entire episode to Ralph and all of his uh, bands and you know our friendship and exactly how he and I know each other. So, Ralph, how are you? I'm fine, Mike. Happy New Year, everybody. And uh, thanks for having me again on this podcast. Always great to be a guest here. You know, time flies, man. And um, I was just thinking about you and I have been friends for... I don't know, like almost 20, 20 years at this point. Yeah, I think it's 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 a bit over fifteen. I think two 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 thousand three or four was that Anodyne tour, something like that. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, so yeah, sixteen to seventeen years, I would say. Yeah, time time flies, man. And, yeah, uh, totally. You know, and uh, you were one of the on that particular tour. I remember it being very difficult. And uh, you, you were one of the bright spots on that tour. As, uh, and you and I became, you know, great friends. Obviously, to this day, we're still great friends. Yeah, man. It's, it's, it's not a lot of people that I know for a longer time and I'm still fond of. <laughs> Over the years, you played in tons of different bands. Uh, you know, Hellstrom. Uh, you were also in a band, Planks, that we did a, a, an early tour with and also released a split 12-inch. And, yeah. uh, you know, you, you graduated to doing other things like Ulta. You guys had a record on Century Media. And you have a, a brand new project, we'll, which we'll talk about, um, you know, later in the show. And uh, I, I quite like that new project, by the way. Uh, so, oh. so, yeah, let's get a little background, man. So you and I met on the ill-fated uh, Anodyne tour and um, stayed in touch. And uh, probably uh, when you... you entered my life again was when you were doing planks yeah i mean we, we we met each other i think by that time hellstrom just started my my old like fast core crust band which wasn't that good but yeah it was that time when we did the first demo tape and i think i gave you a demo and and we hung out at my apartment watching um death is just the beginning videotape like with this, all these old death metal bands and nuclear blast I think I introduced you to Breach when you stayed at my apartment. Yes. And uh, we did the classic record episode about that one. And yeah, man, it's been, I mean, we, I remember we sat in that, like in the apartment, in the kitchen late at night, talking music, movies, and there was so much we shared, like so much common interest and also like this understanding of, of music and art and life and i think that just like clicked and that's why we're still friends to that day and 
it's it's really cool. I'm still I'm really glad that you're part of my life and we still can do this. I wish we could hang out more often, which uh, we will like hopefully do at some point. Yeah, we got to get past all this pandemic stuff first, and uh, you know, it looks like there is a little bit of hope in the future for that. So, um, so yeah, I'm, hopefully that's going to come to pass. You know. Yeah, man. Hope so too. The funny thing about Breach is, uh, I remember very specifically you, you you introducing me to them. But the funny thing about it is, when we first landed in Germany, and uh, we played, I forgot the, I think we were, was it Mannheim where that first show was. Mm, it was the, like the for the tombs tombs tour. No, 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 the for the, for Anodyne. It was the Anodyne uh, tour. No, I I don't. Oh wait, yeah, right. It was in Mannheim. Ralph Ralph Box set up that show because he booked that tour and he did the show in Mannheim. Yeah, right. And I saw on the flyer uh, people comparing us to this band called Breach, and I kept that kept coming up over and over again on that tour, and I was like, "Who the hell is this band Breach? I never heard of them." <clears> and uh, then you turned me on to them, and I've been a massive fan of them ever since you know however uh i don't really think that anodyne sounded like them unfortunately not 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 (laughs) at all but but it was i think back back then that was that that hydra had escape artist kind of time you know for bands yeah and everything that was like heavy and it wasn't metal but it also wasn't hardcore and they couldn't be put into categories they pretty much like used that term chaos core or something and i mean breach like you know us europeans we like kind of dig european bands and breach were like a household name even though they were popular in the states to some degree but they were never a big band but uh, over here back then they were like a good band to reference and i mean they breach is a very dark band and very atmospheric and even though anodyne was way more technical and brutal it still had like maybe this dark vibe, you know, the atmospheric part, but you were so much more in, in like melting faces. Breach never did that. And let's talk about let's talk about you. Let's talk about planks. <laughs> let's talk about how that turned into Ulta, and let's talk about this brand new thing that you got going on. So yeah, I mean that that band Hellstrom we talked about was fairly sh- well. It wasn't short lived. It actually existed for three years, and we did a shitload of tours. I was still studying back then, so I had time. Um, but I always wanted to, I don't know, like wanted to have a heavier sound. I mean, we did that split seven inch with Perth Express and they still to this day are one of like one of my favorite German bands. And they had like this really heavy sound kind of like kind of his sure is gone or like early Mastodon going. And compared to that, like Hellstrom sounded like a weak crust band. Um, so Planks was my approach of incorporating more of this heaviness that I like, you know, more like the neurosis kind of sound, also down-tune a bit. And um, over the years, we incorporated some blast beats, but never, like, tried to be a black metal band. And I think we, well, we were did four full-length records, the split with you guys, another split, EPs and shit. We toured a ton. But at some point in... Late 2013, I was feeling it was stale. You know, we always played the same shows with the same bands to the same audience. Um, I was I already lived in um, 
in Cologne by that time and the other Jews were spread out over Germany. So it was more like a hassle to get the band together. Also, the kind of development planks took, I felt that my voice isn't doing the trick anymore because I can't really sing. And um, I wanted it to be different, but it couldn't. So I said, like, before this all, like, gross week and like a half-hearted copy of a copy, I just killed the band off. And when I first had that thought, I said, like, Planks is such an incredibly hard task to hold together. I want to have a band in my hometown where I just like meet up with a bunch of friends and we play music because we want to. And I have a, like a buddy here, Jens, who's been a longtime friend of mine and his old band and my old band played shows together. And we always wanted to do a band together. And he he's just one of the best dudes. And we had ideas for like 20 different projects. And then all of a sudden, Manu, who's the drummer in Ulfa and also in Ropes of Night, he wrote on a message board that he will move to Cologne. And he also comes from southern Germany and know each other for years over the sh over shows and all our old bands. And when I knew he will move here, I wrote him a text. It's like, dude, I don't care where you're going to live in Cologne, but we will start a band and it will be a black metal band. Because Manu is just one of the best drummers Germany has. And yeah, that was the starting point of Ulfa. Yeah, there's there's definitely at least um, in the northeastern states like where I, you know where, where where Tombs is based out of and whoa you know like a lot of times guys will travel between like New York, New Jersey, and like Philadelphia or like Southern Connecticut, and now uh, but we're only talking like a couple hours maybe hour and a half you know that kind of thing yeah. and uh, but I know a, a lot of my European friends like they'll they'll travel like you know eight hours to go to band practice yeah, yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, that's also the the problem is I I don't know if that like correlates with the amount of people that live here and the, compared to like America, but I mean let alone like trying to start a band in in Cologne, Cologne is a, a big city, one of the major cities here, and you could think like a lot of media is set here, a lot of TV stations and and all this stuff, and there are a ton of musicians, but no one wants to play the music you want to play. Like, if I want to start a hip-hop band or a Cologne dialect German rock band, it would be no problem. But starting a band here, you have to find people that are actually into the same stuff you are. And, I mean, you and I, we're both nerds when it comes to music. So if I would just say I want to start a black metal band that sounds like Mayhem or something, I would find a bunch of people to do that. But like when Ulta started, like my idea was not to have a band that sounds like Mayhem or like, like I don't know, Demo Borgir or stuff like this. So my, the niche that I enjoy in black metal was hard to find uh, like people that are into that. And Jens and I already shared that feeling. And when Chris joined the band, who's the bass player and singer, he also came from another background, but he was also in bands that we played with. And we all knew, like, we had the same black metal bands that we treasure. So when we started Ulfa, it was just a natural thing to say, like, okay, I don't want to sound like a like every black metal band. I want to do something different. And so, yeah, I, I had projects with people in different cities, drove around forever. And I, I know the feeling. It's just like the lack of people that are into the same stuff you are or that at least play the stuff and are into the stuff you are. 
Exactly. I mean, I think Ulta has such a specific sound. And uh, like you were saying, it, it's not, I mean, I, I, I'm a fan of uh, all of the various uh, subgenres, you know, within, within black metal, uh, you know, there's a, there's such a wide variety of bands. I mean, you have like, you know, Zaster and, and, you know, Leviathan, you have Behemoth, you got Dark Throne, you got all these different bands that all are under the same like banner but have different aspects of it. So to say I want to be in a black metal band, it's like such a, a very broad term. And Ulta definitely is one of those bands where it's not a one specific thing, but a lot of different things. And also the influences reach beyond what is typically would be extreme metal like influences. Yeah. So I, I imagine that was even harder for you guys to actually come up with uh, members who could even understand the yeah. types of uh, you know the types of influences that are there. Yeah, like the, the the base, the core. Like when we started with Jens, Manu, and Chris, and me, it was easy because we all came from the same background and we all share so much musical interest in a variety of genres. And when we started, there was no discussion about like okay. I want to incorporate this or that. We just did it, and and we, it felt right, so we did it. But when Jens had to quit the band because of his tinnitus, um, he like we would try to find a replacement guitar player, and we had a bunch of Colonians here uh, come to our rehearsal and said like, "Oh, cool! I want to play an Ulta," and they had no fucking idea what we were doing. And when we told them like, "Yeah, listen to this band and listen to that band," that maybe helps you get the feeling we're after, and they were like. I don't understand it. So for them, for example, neurosis, I've never heard of neurosis. What is neurosis? I'm like, oh, okay, this will be difficult. <laughs> this isn't going to work, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. yeah. It's like if someone like with a transistor 25-watt angle head and an old Ibanez guitar and he could like shred in E-Standard and we're like, ah, I don't know. Do you know what a delay pedal is? <laughs> no. <laughs> you mentioned uh, the angle amp specifically. Um, is that is that something? Because uh, uh, I, I think they're pretty decent amps, but is that is that like the uh, the earmarks of um, of a certain type of guy in Europe or something like that? <laughs> um, yeah, we always we always call call them compressed metal man people. Um, it's a uh, you know like the um, there's a, funnily like do you know what an atzet is? What that means? Like you, you played the Atet Aachen on that tour, you know, like this autonomous center, pretty much. Uh-huh. So squats or something like this. Yeah. And um, Ulta and and like our our friend Sun Worship, we've been called Atet Black Metal. So black metal specifically coming from the Atet background, and it's um it is like fifty percent the term that we are raised on like left wing political standards. And also that we sound different because we are way louder and thicker in our sound. And it's just because like the, the traditional standard metal people here, they're conditioned to play like active pickups and have like angle heads or like dual rectifiers. If, the, if they know something, they have a dual rectifier. If they don't know nothing, they will have like a PV compressed head or something. So the standard metal thing where you like it, you can't fuck with it, like you can't do anything wrong with it, but it just doesn't sound any in any way like specific. But all like us, like Ulta, we we're like gear nerds, you know. We have like these old 
old retro heads and no way around pedals. And we're not like, okay, you don't need a 2000 euro head to have a good sound if you know your way around pedals and shit like this. So when we like we were looking for this replacement guitar player, um, we had like a bunch of tryouts and they all were impressed by the way our stuff sounds. Oh, it's so heavy and so intense. And it's like you're playing a 50 watt like hat from the 70s and like this is just 300 euros on eBay. It's like, yeah, man. <laughs> it's it's all I need. Like I do it with my pedals and with uh, with my guitar and shit like this. People people's minds fell off when they saw me play because I play Lucille and uh, like the Gibson ES three three five. So which is like the BB King blues guitar, and like when I play, it just sounds so different than from all the standard metal stuff. And that's pretty much one of the traits I think also has that we. I mean, we're, we're standard drop D tuning and everybody says like, oh, you sound so thick and heavy. And it's like, we're not even that down tuned. It's just the way we operate with all the reverb, with a keyboard and everything. Yeah, having a keyboard, I think, is um, that's like a whole other frequency, man, of like thickness and heaviness that could be, if it's done well, if it's done correctly. So let, let me ask you, man. I mean, you know, Europe has a very uh, deep, you know, seen with like squats and, and, and it's a totally different vibe than in the States when I say squat. Like when you say squat in the United States, you think about a bunch of crackheads like, uh, you know, uh, huddled over a can of Sterno, like eating a rat, you know, and listening, <laughs> listening to Gigi Allen or something like that. But in Europe, like squats have a whole different thing that are, I mean, I've played squats that are better than some actual professional venues, you know, with like real yeah. sound systems and totally organized and all this other stuff. So, so yeah, go, go into that a little bit. I, I think some of the American, particularly American listeners are, would, would like to get that cleared up. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, sure. So squat for us is pretty much an occupied house most of the times. Like it could be an industrial building. We've got a bunch of those, especially in Italy. So pretty much buildings that have been used for whatever purpose and they have been abandoned um, and they're not torn down so they're just empty so people decide to make use of this room because like these rooms are there and why not have and someone live in there so mostly it starts out as some punks like squatting there and if like if there are i mean we, we also have these these traps like you just described with like speed crusts and drug addicts and just hang out but some of them they've over the years they they've grown to be so organized so they've got different groups in there like doing political work they mostly then at some point build in one room a small stage get a smaller sound system, organize DIY shows, pretty much the comparison to what you guys have with house shows, I assume. That's the closest thing I could think of. Or because like when we, when we did that, like the Tombs Planks US tour and with, I think it was Philly, we played Secret Art Space. Oh yeah. The, sh the show Jamie Gets set up. That, I think that was the closest to a European DIY show I've played in the States. And um, so we've got a bunch of these venues here. And so how it works is um, if you want to play there, you write them an email mostly. They have like an address and they have got several smaller groups. Like the one does more punk shows, the other hardcore metal or hip hop and rap. 
And so they check if they want to set up a show for you, and then you can play there. And like the money from the door is mostly 70, 30, 30 goes to the venue and the rest goes directly to the bands. And um, yeah, it's like they're they're tolerated most of the times. But if they're like in a in an interesting place, for example, in Berlin, they've got like a bunch of really old, very well set up uh, squats that don't look like shit. People live there, they do communal work, and and they do great shows, and they're really active for the community. But then all of a sudden, it's like one of the places where you know rich investors say like, "Hey, this is the place to be," and then police comes and tries to abandon these buildings, and then mostly there's big riots on the street, shit like this. So yeah, that's pretty much all over Europe. You have these these yeah DIY spots where people just at some point started living, setting up shows, and grew it to be some kind of like activist house where you can play shows and hang out. Yeah, that that reminds me of uh, ABC No Rio in New York City and uh, Gilman Street out there in in Berkeley. Which yeah, uh, that's are, yeah yeah probably the more. I don't know if you've ever been to either one of those places, but. Uh, I've I've, need, I've not been to any of those because ABC No Rio got shut down. I think like the one time that Jenny and I visited you in New York, I think it was just shut down shortly before that. And I don't know if Gilman is still around, but I know all these videos, all these cool bands playing there. Yeah, it, that those are the closest to actual like some of the better, uh, you know, spots and in. in in, or actually, not even the better spots. I would say the the median squats in Europe yeah. are like those places, particularly Gilman Street. Uh, ABC think, No Rio could be like a little rough around the edges. Like they never quite had like a you know good sound system or anything like that there. Yeah, yeah. I re I remember when I was um, on on like doing a West Coast trip with Danny some years back. It was our honeymoon. We went to Dead Fest, so like the Drop Dead curated fest in Oakland at the Oakland Metro. Mm -hmm. And that was like a big venue. And I saw that Gary Newman is supposed to play there. But when you entered it, it pretty much looked like one of the bigger DIY squats here. So like a really torn down industrial building with, with like a good PA sound system, but still it's not really clean or cool. Because on that same, same trip, we've also been to the... Uh, Power of the Riff, the Southern Lord Fest at oh, yeah. um, mm -hmm. the Echoplex, I think, in L.A. And that was like high-tech modern. And then you go to Oakland and it's completely the opposite. Yeah. yeah. So one of the sort of uh, earmarks of these squats is that there's a, a very left-wing kind of uh, activist you know, vibe to it. So, uh, yeah. you know, and particularly in Europe, uh, black metal has a very, uh, you know, uh, you know, there, there's like a bad vibe with black metal for leftists. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. like a lot of these left, the left leaning people look at black metal as this kind of uh, nationalist, um, you know, right wing, uh, you know, political kind of thing, which stands in opposition to them. So did you guys experience any of that trying to play shows in Europe? If uh, if I could comment on this with a meme, it would be like people laughing out loud. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, um, I, I guess we're kind of used to that. Yeah, I mean, you're no stranger to that. Yeah. Uh, if we look, uh, if we look back to southern Germany and a specific band photo of a specific Italian band, 
with a Burzum shirt by a specific bass player that has been in tombs. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, no shit. We've we've encountered that before. I mean, I've been on both sides of the fence. So we, I mean, I was active in Mannheim at the youths and in uh, the AZ in Aachen, like all these. DIY political venues and yes they like these leftist squads are pretty much all our left wing and um, yes they had a like a very strict agenda when it came to comes to black metal but that kind of I think it kind of broke open a bit with bands like Ruth and the Throne Room so I always consider them the starting point of the third wave in a way. It was the wave that also brought bands like Def Heaven and, and stuff like this. So more, I don't know, like black metal bands with a different background. Um, and th as black metal grew more and more popular, also these venues saw themselves faced with the challenge of like, okay, we, there are bands I want to play, but they play black metal. And mostly it's not even the problem that the bands themselves play black metal, because if you, like in Germany, if you apply to play at a DIY spot like this, and you say, like, I play in a black metal band, you already know that if you, I don't know, have band photos with an absurd shirt or, like, some sketchy band that there's no chance in hell that you will play. But... Um, they they have like they have they're more afraid of the people that will come to that show and that's that's kind of still a stigma that also we encountered here in Cologne when we started setting up shows at these kind of places like the first Ulta show was at such place and the release show for our first full length in 2015 was in such place and then all of a sudden you have people showing up with a patch or a shirt of a band that is like I don't know, they always call it gray area, you know, and uh, guilty by association stuff. So that band has a member shared with that band and this band had a split with that band and so on. So we encountered this before and I always said, like, if you want to go to a show like this, maybe just leave your Burzum shirt at home. And I mean, I, I don't have a problem if someone wears a Burzum shirt because mostly that's not like a political statement. But these places, sometimes they do. And I mean, there were always controversies. But yeah, in 2000 and um, what was it? 2017, yeah. Yeah, Woe, Woe, our mutual friends Woe came over for their first European tour. And um, we were booked to play a festival in Rotterdam at a, like an old metal space. And the headlining band was Inquisition. And... Um, yeah, all kind of hell broke loose within a short amount of time. And we've been in a huge shitstorm, getting shows canceled on us ever since. And yeah, it was just, it's its a drag and it's been kind of insane. But um, yeah, that's the kind of shit you grow to deal with when you play in a black metal band. Man, Inquisition, man. Those guys, like, really, <laughs> it's, <laughs> you know, first it's the racism, uh, and then it's the uh, the uh, accusations of being child molesters and stuff like that. It's like, uh, yeah, uh, yeah they're mean, they're definitely one of those bands that uh, you gotta you know keep a distance. I think if you want to be uh, politically correct, you know. The two things that with this whole Inquisition situation kind of like still stick with me the most that I think about the most is. 
first that people criticized us for playing that show because they said like here are photos of him with this flag and this old interview he gave and uh so this proves he's a nazi and he clearly distanced himself from that and i mean but I'm, like when i met him i saw or like I, i i immediately knew that this guy's a tool but he distanced himself from that and who am i to judge if people like change or not because like if i would stick to the philosophy that if somebody does something wrong he will forever be a burned child i couldn't do my job because people in school like as a teacher kids always do mistakes and i have to talk to them have to see if there's a learning process and sometimes it takes two or three attempts so who am i to judge if this guy is like inside of him he's a true nazi or not or whatever but he distanced himself from that and he works together with like an anti-fascist booker so for me or for us that was back then was okay had had we known that he later on like would it would come out that he's involved with child pornography and like admit to that so plead pled guilty to owning this kind of shit and distributing this kind of shit we wouldn't even have fucked with the idea of playing with a band like this so yeah fucking position and fuck that and probably the worst aspect of it was that okay you can cancel our show that's not a problem to us and we can kind of relate to it um it's well it's a decision of the venue and the promoter But what happened was, like, when all of this shit, like, cooked and, and, and boiled over, was um, that people actually wrote us mails threatening that they will contact my department of schools because, like, I am a tenured of the state, and they threatened to uh, inform them that I collaborate with fascists, with which would have cost me my job in the long run. And the same happened to uh, Vendetta. Stefan is involved with that record store Bissop's Messer in Berlin, which also has Robert of Zahn and, and Nor Norman. Um, so three people working there, and they got mails that if they don't distance themselves from Ulta, they will, um, that these people will do everything they can to make this record shop go bankrupt. And these are levels of insanity that are like I've never seen something like this before, and this to this day still haunts me. Ulta is not a political band. We're political people playing black metal, so we're all left wing. We've all grown grown up in the left wing scene. We're active when it comes to that, but we don't have a problem if you are listening to Burzum. Hell, I do sometimes. I love Burzum, like, but I would never wear a shirt by them. It's just my personal thing you know and when we like that tour our booker off that tour he booked us through his booking agency but was working for a bigger booking agency booking inquisition so and this guy is a left-wing punk from the from the netherlands so we said like dude if you like book us or shows you know we don't want to play with sketchy bands and he's like no they're not a sketchy band and the, the first like the first like backlash was because it was a two-day event but it was two different festivals play on a saturday and a sunday with two different promoters and the saturday had the echo collective like a string string group that does like classical music and they're one of my favorites now 
um, they played a Burzum record, like one of Burzum's ambient records. They played it with strings. So the flyer said Burzum played by the Echo Collective. And then the second day was a different festival, and it said Inquisition and Woe and Nocturna and Turia and all these bands and Ulta. And first of all, we got mails, you're playing with Burzum. It's like, no, we don't. Burzum isn't playing live. They, Mark will never play live. But it says Burzum. It's like, it's a string ensemble playing an ambient record by Burzum. Oh, yeah, that doesn't fly. It's a Nazi band. It's like, ah, okay. So the string, so, the string orchestra, got, they, got, uh, you know, they got canceled too by, by, uh, because they were playing Burzum? No, of course not. They did not. Okay, I, I wasn't. No. I had to straighten that out. I, okay, all right. No, 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 no. They were just there. Uh, they were doing their thing, and I guess they didn't. Could they couldn't care less? But these, the, like they, they play gigantic venues nowadays, and um, so no one gives a shit about that. the The promoter of that festival was like a sketchy distro guy from the Netherlands, who's also active on the Nuclear War Now message board, hanging out with all these people like Möbius of Absurd and shit like this. So they were actually, he was running his mouth about us, like, oh, we don't want, like, social justice warrior cooks like Woe and Otha on our fest. And then, but he always cleared, like, this is not the same festival. The Sunday festival is different. So we were able to clear that out, and then all of a sudden someone posted a picture of the Inquisition guy with, when he was 16 <laughs> with a German, oh, German military flag. And then it's like, oh, you're playing with the Nazi bands. Like, no, dude, they like they are one of the black metal bands that did two statements saying we distance ourselves from our past. There was stupid, childish mistakes, but people don't count like that doesn't count. So we try to clear that up and that just made things even worse. And then we uh, started the tour in Antwerp the first day and the second day was supposed to be Hamburg at a festival. And while we were on the way to Hamburg, we I got a phone call from the promoter, not from the venue, but from the promoter. He said, like, they just had another meeting and Woe and you guys are not able to play tonight. Oh, and we're man. like, we already drove three hours of our seven hour drive. And they were like, um, so why is that? Yeah, because you played with a Nazi band. It's like, oh, God. And so we wrote a statement, Volvo wrote a statement, this whole shitstorm started happening. We went to that venue, no one of the venue was, like we drove to Hamburg, no one of the venue came out to talk to us about it. And uh, then uh, like three days after they posted a statement making us look like complete assholes for selling out the DIY culture and the political agenda. And uh, it was horrible and ever since then like coming back to this we got a bunch of shows canceled on us where we always say like dude if you want to cancel us for this please read the internet carefully before you book us because it's just such a i mean if you don't want to book us that's fine we don't care but like don't have us book a show around in a tour or something promote the shit out of it and then two days before or even like on the way they're canceling us that is annoying, and yeah. So, well, <laughs> that is the that is uh, what I have to say about this whole politics and uh, left wing thing that blows up into your faces. And the fun is the the often quoted bad Antifa. The actual Antifa of Cologne and people they were like, "Cool, man! Like we we are behind you. We think it's really cool that a band actually addresses the the problem that this scene has, and actually goes to a show to play and show like their alternatives." And um, 
so but like it was some internet warriors you know like tools that are just using the keyboard and never show up at a demonstration or anything they were running their mouth and got shit canceled on us and that's just annoying yeah i feel like the antifa in europe might be a little bit more reasonable than the people in the united states when it comes to this kind of stuff i have nothing but love for these guys here i mean i i know like this this whole mess with that Graveland show in Canada where they ran in and, and blew up gas in, in the audience. And yes, I mean, I would I would never dare to play a show with Graveland or book them or whatever. But I think the, the methods, you know, they're, they're kind of sketchy. And I think sometimes you have to take direct action. But most of the cases that I've heard of, that was not like straight up Antifa. It was just some idiots trying to make a statement. As I said, like we, I have contacts to the Antifa here, and they are mostly completely reasonable. And they know, like, they always come up to us and say, like, it's incredible how so-called left-wing people on the internet bash you so hard that they come out on the right side of things. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely, man. Um, yeah, it's it's crazy, just the sort of hypocrisy too between all this stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you guys also promote your own festival too. You, you've been doing that for a few years, right? Right. Yeah, Unholy Passion Fest. Yeah. So when did that start? Um, it was, uh, I think, for like our first um, the release show for our first record, Pink Lenses Every Doubt, in 2015 was not named it like that but we'd set up a little show for that with four bands a year later when converging sins came out we decided to have like a proper um like small festival and i always wanted to have my own festival that are like create because i just want to have an excuse to book the bands that i love in the city that i live in and um so we started it and uh i mean you and i both share this love for sam Hain. So it was uh, a given to have that name. I always wanted to use that for it. And it has been going on. Like, we have four installments. The last one was last year, December. It was our fifth anniversary show. And, yeah, it's always been great. Like, the first two were at a small, like, uh, also one of these last left-wing venues. But then Ulta grew bigger and bigger, and we got a friend of ours here in Cologne who has some connections to get us into Gebäude Neun, which is, uh, I, to my, in my opinion, the best mid-size venue we have. Like Swans are always playing there, uh, Woven Hand, these kind of bands, Russian Circle. So killer sound system, fantastic venue, amazing people, and we were gifted the chance to create our festival. And it's always been sold out. We invited so many cool bands. I always wanted to have a band called Tombs, but they would never come on tour. So, yeah. <laughs> that, that's, that's preposterous, man. We've been to Europe I don't know how many times, man. You never asked me. <laughs> Dude, the last time you've been over here, like the, the Black Anvil disaster tour, you said, like, I will never to Europe again. And ever since then, I think you only flew in for, like, some festivals. <laughs> Under the right circumstances, we'll come back. The problem is, yeah. is that uh, we never really had, like, a decent booking agent over in Europe. You know what I mean? Yeah. And maybe, yeah. That, maybe a- that'll change this, this time around. Yeah, I mean, when, when Ulta is going back into full work mode, for which looks like next year, because thankfully we decided to have this year as our break, and it couldn't have been a better year to take a break. Um, 
yeah, then we will have make that work and get you guys over here and play our festival. I I know that uh, you know I I really have feel like I've healed from uh, from that past uh, yeah. horror, horror show of uh, the, the the tour we did with Black Anvil and uh, like I said you know you got to plan these things out and um, you know it ha- you got to you got to have all the logistics sorted out I mean it's a big risk especially nowadays like I mean who knows what kind of financial uh, you know you know, liabilities you're going to have to take by going international these days. You know, yeah. once, once this pandemic thing gets managed correctly and people are able to go over and do tours, like who knows, like what kind of uh, financial, we, we might only go over for like four days or something like that. Who knows? Yeah. That's also the question, how many venues will still be live? Because that's yeah. the one thing that the government here misses. Like they have, plans and and support for a lot of like branches of industry but the cultural segment is still buttfucked and it's um yeah i mean a lot of venues already called it quits and there will be way more so it will be scary to see when we try to book tours how many of these venues will still be there so as i mentioned earlier you guys have a very specific sound and uh you know we're, we're uh for anyone out there who hasn't yet discovered you guys how would you describe the sound of the band? Um, uh, okay, so yeah, our, our sound is definitely a bit off from the standard black metal thing. And I think I will name a lot of influences now that you share. And I think you also incorporate with tunes just on a different level. So if someone would ask me, like, how do we sound? First of all, I think the, the, the ground thing is the band Weakling and the record Dead as Dreams. Like this, is my favorite black metal record ever from the U.S. black metal band Weakling, and it's this kind of sound, and also what Leviathan does. So like a more inward-focused, dark, gloomy kind of black metal, um, which emphasis is on atmosphere, not on brutality. This mixed with uh, bands like Neurosis or Isis, so the heaviness and the overall soundscape thing. Um, I'm a big fan, like I mentioned before on this podcast, of movie scores and soundtracks. So that's the why our songs are sometimes up to 22 minutes of length. Um, so we have soundscapes in the middle. We've got a keyboard player who does electronics. Um, I also enjoy the aspect in like the minimal music or movie soundtracks where you repeat riffs for a long time and just change small segments of it and have like a melody on top of it. And I think in general, the overall vibe is what all my bands have in common, like my old band Planks and the new band Robes of Night. It's my, my love for Fields of the Nephilim, Sisters of Mercy and The Cure. So it has this melancholic melody thing going it's very accessible in a way so even in a 22 minute song you will still have this pop sensibility that draws you in so Ulta is about the atmosphere it's not about brutality and that's why we play covered in a lot of small uh, fog because we're not like us as the protagonists we're not as important as the overall sound of itself We play super loud and we play without any announcement in the middle. And it's just like an ultra show typically is like an hour long. And when it starts and I want to get people sucked into the atmosphere and just like be in the kind of a state of trance and euphoria. 
even though the music is super sad and very very dark it's still like people go out of it and they just still are like i cannot listen to just one song so you have to listen to the whole record yeah that's what i would try to describe it yeah i picked up on the soundtrack aspect of the band pretty early on i mean not, not just you know the length of the songs but also i know you and i have talked about soundtracks and what immediately what i started thinking about is uh the fountain soundtrack which you turned me on yeah. to years ago yeah yeah and uh well, yeah, I, I could definitely feel that in the music somewhere yeah that's uh, I, I just like that's one of my favorite pieces of music ever written. And if you if you like take the fountain soundtrack, throw some lurker of cellist into it and some uh, uh, some mid mid era neurosis mixed with pornography by the Cure, I think then you have like a sense of what Ulta sounds like. Yeah, that's actually a really good description. I wouldn't have. Uh... And careful, if like careful people out there, if you want to check us out, it's the band just with an A at the end, not with an R. If you like write the full name Othar, you will get the band from the West Coast with your friend Justin Ennis on drums. I didn't, or, know, I didn't know he was still alive, that guy. Yeah, yeah he's, he's been in a bunch of bands. And like oh. they, they, he's got a band called Othar with an R. And it's actually pretty good, the record. And they will tour here next year. And like at least that's the plan. Uh, no, this year, excuse me. And um, I'm really curious how many times they will be confronted by people saying, oh, did you know there's a German band by that band by that name too? <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, these guys haven't done their uh, their homework. So, you know, we'll see. Yeah. Um, so we you, you mentioned Ropes of Night, which is like, uh, I, I'm going to call it your brand new project, even though I know it's not actually very new, but to me it's very well, new, so... I mean, it still is. It started last June. Like, no, it's in June of 2019, so it's not that long. Yeah, but it's not new. Like, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, almost yeah. two years old, so, you know. <laughs> what is what is time anymore these days, Mike? Time is a flattened circle, my friend. <laughs> and the earth is flat too, quote, unquote, the guitar player from the Deftones. Oh, God. <laughs> Yeah, Ropes of Night. Dude, it's my it's been my my dream for so long. I mean, you and I were both big fans of post-punk and dark wave, and I've been fucking around with the idea of, of having a non-metal band forever. And I I don't know, like 2 years ago, I was just like, fuck it, it's time. I have to I have to do something else. Ultra grew increasingly big and we had this deal with Central Media and everything grew so much bigger than we ever expected it to be. And the same feeling with like planks at the beginning and then Ulta and just like without, I, I don't think Ulta is done. Like we're, we're definitely not done, but I wanted to have something different. And I, I had these ideas for post-punk songs forever. And so I, I actually, well, Robes of Night started as a kind of a casting band. There's like these uh, Cologne musician like group on, on Facebook. And I just posted like, I want to start a band that kind of drew inspiration from the 80s. So Sisters of Mercy, Swans, um, Killing Joke, uh, The Sound, The Mission, and this band and stuff. And then I had like a guy from, from a neighboring city, Tom. Uh, he wrote to me and we met and it was a perfect match. And he's the singer now. We had a singer, like a female singer on the 7-inch we did, but Tom is doing vocals now and he's, he's just the best. Like there was instant chemistry 
he knows exactly what I want to have from the songs and helped me co-write these songs. And then we found two people to play the music with us. And the drummer of Ulta is also the drummer of Ropes of Night. And yeah, now in the in the pandemic, in isolation, I wrote all these songs and we recorded 10 songs and we just recorded them at the studio of Andy, the keyboard player in Ulta, at his Goblin Sound Studio. And I mean, I sent you over the the record. I don't know. How would you describe what you heard? Yeah, I immediately I can hear uh, the Sisters of Mercy uh, sort of influence as well as uh, Killing Joke, definitely. Um, and it has like it has a very 80s feel to it. You know, there's there's all there's a lot of modern sort of post punk or whatever you want to call it, dark wave. But this doesn't necessarily sound like like uh, the interpretation of people who aren't, you know, it's like, it doesn't sound like the copy of a copy that a lot of these newer bands sound like. It actually sounds pretty like authentic to me. That's and cool. The one, the one thing that really struck me was was the vocals because I thought um, <laughs> when, I, when I first listened to, to the record, I was like, wow. I can really hear Ralph in the vocals. Like, I feel like I, I'm like, that's like such a characteristic of your voice. And then much to my chagrin, I found out that it's not even you singing. It's like some other guy in the band. And that blew my mind. Yeah. I wish that was me, man. I wish so hard it was me. But I tried and I failed so hard. I think all chances like of me singing like this blew out in the first recording of the first Planks record where I completely fucked my vocal cords. And ever since then, it's just like to, you know, blurring really loud or imitating voices like we did on that Fields of the Nephilim cover. I think my vocal performance there is kind of okay with Ulta. But yeah, man, when I wrote these songs, I was like, okay, so I want to sing on a couple of them. And Tom, like the bass player I started ropes with, he started singing and I'm like, okay, so this is not going to happen. I'm not going to sing here because that guy is just too fucking good. <laughs> And then, and I was, dude, it's perfectly fine. I always like to keep control over the things that I do. And I kind of felt like, okay, so I set the mood with the songs and I want to have them like fit the mood. And I'm always scared that people like that are not me will mess it up. But Tom exceeded every expectation ever. So like every song I'm like, this is so good. I mean, I listen to that record every other day and I'm always like, this is my band. This is kind of surreal. Yeah, you mean you're not going to be like Martin Gore in Depeche Mode, where he has like uh, one or two songs on every record that he sings? <laughs> yeah, always the whiny ones. Yeah, like I, I know that Martin Gore is the man behind that band, but uh, Dave Gahan is like the best. You know, what I'm saying yeah, like, yeah, he, he yeah. really is the the voice of the band. You know. And, yeah, dude, and it's it's the same here. It would just be preposterous to think like I could match match up these vocals. <laughs> the only only thing that's different is maybe that I won't dye my hair blonde and wear leather stockings <laughs> on, on stage. As much as I love the cramps, but that's not going to happen. You know what? Uh, you should check out. Have you heard the band Death Crux? In uh, yeah, of course, of course. Of yeah, I heard. The, yeah. yeah, I heard the podcast you did with them. Yeah, they're on my radar. They're great. Yeah, yeah, they're 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 one of the better bands that are playing like whatever you know, dark goth, yeah. goth rock, death rock, whatever. Have you uh, checked out that band that I mentioned on my top five, Fear Ring? Yeah, I I I mean, as soon as you did that, I I went in and I started 
uh, typing in like all of the uh, you know into Apple Music and all that, and a lot of that stuff's really cool. I haven't fully had an opportunity to digest it a hundred percent, but uh, it's definitely something I'm going to delve deeper into. I think you will like them. They yeah. they sound more modern than than Rocks at Night do because uh, for me it's a real it's a real compliment because I try to write songs that could be from an 80s band recording new stuff in the 2020s so to, like 2021 but with, with, like you said in a, in a more contemporary sound but it's just like I didn't want it to sound like a young band that just discovered post punk and uh, record something like this. You know, you're not you're not the first person to recommend Fearing. So um, oh, okay, yeah, like uh, oh, shout out to uh, Retta Evans at Fifth Estate Tattoo, uh, Phoenix, Arizona. She actually sent me a link to that band like cool. uh, a few months ago, and then it, it showed up on your your top five list. And uh, I checked it out a little bit back then, but now I'm like, okay, well, you know, this is a, a message from the universe that I should be <laughs> more into this band. So, yeah. yeah. It's always cool. Like, I learned so much stuff, like, from the podcast you, Randy, and all your co-hosts do. So, it's always cool that we can interact in that way and show each other new music uh, that we all, like, appreciate. The same with the Necromaniacs podcast. I always have a list with movies I want to watch now. It's, uh, yeah, I love like having this kind of network. Yeah, dude, totally. So as far as like a record label, like how is this new uh, Ropes of Night record going to be released? It will actually be, so it goes full circle because it will be the same label that released the last three Planks records, no, the last two Planks records. It's Golden Antenna Records from Germany. It's like a one-man operation. And when Planks broke up, he's like, dude, whenever you do a new band, I want to release it because Timo and I are close friends. And then Ulta started and I said, like, like Timo, as much as I love you, but this will be on Vendetta Records because I always wanted to work with Vendetta. And it has been the perfect match for Ulta all the way. And um, so when Rope started, I'm like, dude, I have a new band and here are some demos. And he's like, oh, I'm so stoked. And I send him the recordings the day after the way finished, the day I always also send them to you. And ever since then, I get love messages from him. He's like, oh, man, I love this so much. So, yeah, it's like it's a one man operation and he does everything like he doesn't do a lot of real releases. But when he does, he does with a lot of passion. And so I'm glad I could give him something that he really enjoys. And uh, yeah, so the plan is to have it released in March or April of next, uh, of 2021. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm uh, definitely looking forward to, you know, seeing the full like release of that. That should be great. Hey, it will be in your post box for sure. You're always so generous with that. I really appreciate that. Dude, you're one of my best friends. Why would I, I who, who else would I want to send it to? <laughs> yeah. All right, man. Well, thanks a lot. And, uh, you know, this is the uh, 2021 kickoff episode. And um, there you go, man. We got my, my old dear friend, Ralph Schmidt. And I hope everyone's doing well. Yeah, man. And now, uh, do, do, do we do like a premiere of the first song of the Ropes record now? If you want. Well, it would be my pleasure to have the first ever like streaming of a song from that new record being on this podcast. What's the name of the song? Give it give us a proper intro, man. 
<laughs> all right, everybody. So first of all, like, thanks for having me again, and thanks for doing this podcast. It was like one of the best things in 2020 to keep me sane. Um, besides writing music, and I'm stoked to share with all of you guys like the first song from the new record. It's called The Whispers. It's the second track of our first record. The record will be called Impossible Space. And it will be out in April uh, of 2021. And I really hope you guys enjoy what you hear. Thanks for sharing it with us, Ralph. Thank you. I beg you to come down. I beg you to come down. 